Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Amy, and I'm the executive pastor here at Incarnation. It's a gift to be worshiping together over Zoom on this fourth Sunday of Advent. This also happens to be the 40th Sunday of our online worship uh, in this pandemic, which kind of feels unbelievable. But these numbers, the fourth Sunday of Advent, the 40th Sunday of the pandemic, They aren't that important themselves. They just help us kind of remember our place in the story, especially this year when the days and the nights and the seasons all just kind of bleed together and time gets sort of warped. When I find myself still in pajamas at 3 p.m. or waking up mysteriously for the day at 4 a.m. or having trouble separating a Wednesday from a Saturday It can just be really helpful to mark the time, to take note of where we are in the story, to say, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent and the 40th Sunday of our pandemic. And that's what today's scripture readings do for us. They help us mark time in the bigger story that we're all a part of, the story of what God is doing in the world. It's like if we take this ribbon, And we see we're right here, down at this end, on this 40th Sunday of the pandemic. Then our reading from Luke is back here. We can tie a knot in it. And then our reading from 2 Samuel is way back here. And these readings are big points in the story. Places where the plot twists and folds in on itself and turns somewhere unexpected. So today we're going to retrace ourselves along this ribbon. We're going to see the thread of God's unconditional love that runs from here to here to here, and we're going to try to grasp hold of it. Now Luke's story is not set in a global pandemic like our story is right now, but it is set at a time when the days and the months and the years had long since bled together for the Jewish people. It had been a thousand years since King David was on his throne in that Second Samuel passage. It had been 400 years since the words of the Old Testament had been inked and since it seemed like God's voice through the prophets had gone silent. The Jewish people for all this time had just been waiting and waiting and waiting for a king that God had promised, but who never showed up. And there's a line from the carol, O Holy Night, that captures this feeling well, when it says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. The world just lay, fallow, tired, passive, pining for something to change. And then something does. Luke tells us that on the sixth month of the Jewish year, suddenly everything changes. An angel named Gabriel shows up to a young woman named Mary, probably not much older than my daughter, and he tells her she's going to have a baby. And that that baby is the king everyone's been waiting for. Listen to Gabriel's message. He says, he will be great. He will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. God is interrupting the world's waiting to fulfill a promise he made all those years ago. So let's go even further back on our rhythm, ribbon, to that promise, to that first knot we tied. It's in our Old Testament reading from 2 Samuel chapter 7. And just to set the scene in this passage, King David is finally on his throne, ruling over his people. His kingdom is finally at peace after years of bloodshed and conflict. David's just taken the city of Jerusalem, and he's brought the Ark of the Covenant into the city as the sign that God's presence is with them. And as he looks around, he decides he wants to build a temple, a permanent house for the Ark. And that is a completely normal and understandable thing to want to do. It's what all the other kings around David did. To David and his people, the ark represents the presence of God and the whole story of his faithfulness to them. The ark of the covenant contains the word of God, those stone tablets with the Ten Commandments, and it contains the bread of heaven, this golden jar of manna. And the Jewish people had carried the word and the bread in the ark with them all those years that they wandered through the desert and into all the battles where God had sustained them. And whenever they would camp somewhere, they would put that ark in a tent, it's called the tabernacle, and then God's presence would descend like a cloud and overshadow the ark and fill the tent, and they would know God is with us. So it makes sense that David wants to build a house for this thing. He wants to pin down God's presence in a permanent way. He wants to be able to point to a building and say, see, God is with us. He's right there. But God says, no, no. There will come a time when it will be good and right to build a house for the ark, a temple. David's son Solomon will do it. But this isn't that time. This is about something else. Listen to what God says to David. God says, the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and the stripes of the son of men, but my steadfast love will never depart from him. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be forever. And there's this clever little double meaning in that first line where God says, the Lord will make you a house. Now, house can mean temple. That's how David's been using it. He wants to build God a house. But house can also mean lineage, ancestry, like a royal line, the way we talk about the house of Windsor or the house of Tudor. God says, you want to make me a house, but I will make you a house, a royal line 
which is so much better. God doesn't want his presence in a house over there. Someday God will put his presence in a house, in an ancestry, in a people, right here in the flesh. And there's something really different about this promise from all of God's promises that have come before. Because up until now, every promise between God and his people had an if. If you keep my commandments, if you do this, I do that. But here the if is gone. The emphasis isn't on what God's people are doing or whether they get it right. But what God will do no matter what. God will remove the if. God is pledging his steadfast love will never, ever, ever depart from his people. This is a promise that changes everything. And yet, if we come back to the next knot on the ribbon, a thousand years later, people are still waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. They thought maybe it had been in Solomon, David's son, when he built that awesome temple for God. But Solomon's kingdom didn't last forever. And since then, the Jews had been taken captive and defeated, and the Ark of the Covenant had been destroyed, and they were subjects of the Roman Empire. So when the angel Gabriel tells Mary that her son will be given the throne of David, and that he will rule forever and his kingdom will have no end. This feels like huge news. Finally, the story is coming true. And once again, God is making a house for his presence among his people in a way totally unexpected. Because now Mary's own womb will contain the word of God and the bread of heaven, just like the ark had. And when Mary asks how this is possible, Gabriel tells her that the Most High will overshadow her. And that word overshadow is the word for the cloud of God's presence, overshadowing the ark of the covenant, filling the tent with his presence. All the details are here, the house of David, the king forever, the word of God, the bread of heaven, the steadfast love of God, and the presence of God with his people. God has finally come to build his house among his people, not in a temple built by human hands, but in human flesh, in the person of Jesus in the womb of Mary. This is the Son of God, the King. But where does that leave us 2,000 years later? We still find ourselves waiting. Jesus has come. He lived and died and rose again, but we're still waiting for his kingdom. We're still waiting for this King to set the world right forever. And it's hard to imagine a year when we have ever felt that waiting so acutely as this one. We have spent 40 weeks stuck at home waiting, waiting for this virus and its huge loss of life to end, waiting for justice to prevail in our nation, 
waiting for the mouths of the hungry and the needs of the poor around the world to be filled, waiting to hug each other, waiting to wear fancy clothes, to go to weddings, to go to potlucks, even waiting to go to funerals. It can feel really hard to believe that God has made his presence right here with us in the messy flesh of human life. It can feel really hard to believe that his spirit is here with us and in us. It can feel hard to believe that God loves us, that he is loving us, that his love for us hasn't gone anywhere, hasn't departed, and it won't change a bit. It can feel really hard to believe that his kingdom is coming. But it is. This is the story we are a part of. This is a story held together by the promises and the love of God. And probably my favorite book I read this year is a book called Hannah Coulter by Wendell Berry. It's not a new book. It's a novel. And I think better than maybe anything else I've read, it describes the steadfastness of love as a dwelling place, a place with a presence. And so I wanted to read a passage from this book. And what has just happened here, it's Hannah speaking. Hannah's husband has just died in the war. And she says, I began to know my story then. Like everybody's, it was going to be the story of living in the absence of the dead. What is the threat that holds it all together? Grief, I thought for a while. And grief is there, sure enough, just about all the way through. From the time I was a girl, I have never been far from it. But grief is not a force, and it has no power to hold. You only bear it. Love is what carries you, for it is always there, even in the dark, or most in the dark, but shining out at times like gold stitches in a piece of embroidery. Sometimes, too, I could see that love is a great room with a lot of doors where we are invited to knock and come in. Though it contains all the world, the sun, moon, and stars, it is so small as to be also in our hearts. So how do we stay in that room of love that Hannah describes? How do we hold on to that love? to the story of love that we're part of. And I think Mary's response to the angel in Luke's gospel shows us the way. She says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Which is really just a humble, beautiful way of holding out her arms and saying, Okay, okay, okay. I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. I will trust what you say is true. Okay. As we come to the end of 2020, I want to encourage you to make Mary's response your response. To say to God afresh, as often as you need to, I am your servant. 
Let it be to me according to your word. Someday God will interrupt our waiting with something new. But until then, his steadfast love will never depart from us. We are his servants. Let it be to us according to his word.